Jesus' name. Oh, as morning dawns, yes, as morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch Strong! 
Jesus. We lift your name, God. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord God. Everything, Father, we have is in you and only you, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Just reach out to him today.
for your faithfulness, Lord my God. Hallelujah. Jesus, Lord, you are worthy of it all, God. Of all praise in this place. Hallelujah, God. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, come on, saints, this morning, yes. Glory, day and night, night and day, day and night. 
Lord, you are above all things. You are above all things. Just to yourself, begin to tell him everything that he is above in your life. Any problem going on, every situation, just tell him right now, Lord, you're above it all. You're above anything any of us would face, God. You're above any challenge or problem. God, you are above anything, God, everything. We honor you today. We worship your great name. Worthy is the Lord. Worthy is the Lord. Honor and praises to his incredible name. We exalt you. We do what is fitting and right for those that love you. We honor you today. In Jesus' name, the mighty name of Jesus, the exalted one. Amen. 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 Well, it's good to see you worshiping today. And uh, what, a great, uh, what a great weekend to be doing that, Labor Day weekend. Uh, before we greet each other, we're going to take a few minutes and do that. Just a little, a little, little hack, a little communion Sunday hack. Uh, during the greeting time is the great time to grab your <coughs> communion cup. And in case there's one not right near you, go find one so that later when we receive together, you have one. Well, let's take a few minutes and let's enjoy each other's company and greet each other today. All right, all right. Hey, ushers, if you can prepare, we're going to receive our morning tithe and offering. How many basketball fans in here? Any basketball fans? A couple of you? Like one of you? Great. That's fantastic. The, uh, the famous coach John Wooden said, you can't have a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. It sounds... Uh, very familiar here, book of Luke chapter 6, verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. There's something about giving and not expecting anything back that's powerful. And as we give today, we say, Lord, you've given us so much, you've done so much in us, for us, to us, around us, we can't help but give. So, Lord, thank you for the privilege it is to give today. Thank you for the honor that it is to be able to worship you in this way. Bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hopefully you got a bulletin when you came in, but if you are a guest with us today, uh, first of all, we're super glad you're here. If you would do us a favor, there's a connect card in, in the seat back in front of you. If you would complete that, that would be wonderful and drop it off to the guest services table and they have a gift for you. And we just want to formally just thank you for being here with us today. All guests, we appreciate you being here today. And uh, hey, several announcements we've got coming up. Uh, next Sunday, which is the 11th, will be um, the last kind of the deadline Sunday for turning in those book bags. If you're wanting to bring one for the preschool in Wilmington, uh, please see Joy Coleman if you have any questions regarding that. We have some things starting up this morning. We had all of our classes firing on all cylinders for life groups. Uh, be there at 9 a.m. If you haven't made that a habit, uh, maybe it was a habit years ago. It hasn't been recently. Pick it back up again. And uh, 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, we have our life groups for all ages. Come check those out. And uh, on September 7th, which is this coming uh, Wednesday night, uh, Divorce Care is going to begin in, in room 107. Again, this is all in your bulletin. We want to say a special thank you from Praise Youth for all those who supported Rocky Challenge. Thank you so very much. Give yourself a hand. Go ahead, give yourself a hand. That's right. And uh, we still have some totals running in. I'll let you know next week what the, what the total was. But we really, really appreciate those that were uh, faithful to give there. The Youth Convention deposit of $90 is due today. And we've got, uh, we're going to take a moment and just pray for our big day on the 18th. It's our Back to Church Sunday, our 37th anniversary as a church. And uh, I know there are several, a handful of you here that have been there that whole time. And uh, so we're going to celebrate with our superintendent, uh, Reverend Doug Clay. And so I'm going to actually uh, pray um, for that day. And then we're going to have a a video that's going to come up. Lord, thank you for uh, this church and the impact it's had locally and around this world. And I pray for this coming Sunday, the 18th, not this coming, but the the 18th in a couple weeks, that you would bless that day in a powerful way. Lord, make it. Uh, a day that has your thumbprint on it. Lord, make it a day that's powerful in your hand. We love you and say thank you and pray your blessing on your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Hey, a little backstory. You know, it is our 37th anniversary. We have our national leader of the Assemblies of God, Doug Clay, our general superintendent, um, coming to be with us. And it's, I would have loved to have had him for, uh, you know, a real milestone, kind of like the 40th anniversary or maybe the 35th anniversary. And I did. I booked him for the 35th anniversary. But as you know, COVID hit, and so we couldn't do it. And um, anyways, we weren't allowed, but so many people on the grounds and all that. So, so we're kind of celebrating the 35th on the 37th, as well as celebrating the 37th on the 37th. Does that make sense? Okay, then I can sell you guys anything. All right, I just... Anyways, we're doing the best we can. I'm just glad that we could get him to come. You will thoroughly enjoy him, but that's not the reason to be here. The reason to be here is to invite someone to come with you. It's a great opportunity. Uh, invite them to church, and if they stand you up on that, then just invite them to come eat. Everybody eats, and it's good stuff. You know, all the barbecued stuff will be out there, all the grilled stuff, I should say, uh, as well as what you will bring. Remember, you need to bring some kind of dish or dessert. And I wanted to say, that, how many got a, a schedule of the day? Okay, that was out there. I don't know if the greeters handed them out to you or not. But um, we're going to start eating at 12.15, Lord willing. Uh, make sure you bring a chair. We do have a number of picnic tables and all out there. But, um, and there will be some others set up. But 1 to 4 is inflatables the whole time. 1 to 2.30 is face painting. And that is a great time. These are very handy and artistic people. 1.30 to 3.30 is Mr. Softy. So if you're bringing dessert, just think ahead. Okay, you've got to strategize. 1.30 to 3.30, Mr. Softy, two hours of all the soft serve you can eat. Bring a dessert that goes good with ice cream. I mean, maybe a piece of pie, <clears throat> go get some vanilla, add it to it. Uh, you know, maybe a nice cake with some vanilla on the side, maybe chocolate and vanilla. And I do believe he does everything but milkshakes. In the past, we've had banana splits, we've had sundaes, um, <clears throat> you know. Almost want to tell everybody just bring a bring a casserole dish and forget the dessert, because uh, we can just we really need to do some damage. I mean, uh, really just just eat up all the ice cream that he has on that truck. So, but anyways, that gives you two hours to do that. And of course, pony rides and other stuff. There'll be plenty to do. Um, but let's take this opportunity. There are invite cards out in the lobby. Take some of those. They don't they don't mention the event. You have to actually invite them on the 18th. Um, but we've only got two weeks, so let's get this done. Um, can we scroll through some photos we have? I mean, I looked at these, and I said, we've got to put these up. That's from last year, I believe. Uh, wasn't a great attendance because it was post-COVID, but still a nice spread. Um, yeah, let's keep going. I mean, hey, come on, guys. I might have to cut my message short today. Doesn't that look good? Doesn't that look good? Forget dessert. Um, oh, yeah, and someone pulled out, who was it, pulled out a really good-sized fish out of there this year? One of our ranger kids or somebody did. Um, yeah, ice cream. That's not the fish. <laughs> <clears throat> Mr. Softy. Yep, pony rides. We've got a big pony, and then there's a little pony. And that's our speaker. So Doug Clay will be with us. So it'll be a great time and just, just good to fellowship. Isn't it good getting more and more back to normal? 
You know, I mean, it's just, gosh, it, it seems, seems like a distant memory now, and I definitely don't want to go back there, right? We want to keep moving forward. So anyways, I want us to open this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be getting back to Ephesians. Pastor Brandon shared last week, so I want to get back to this series. And just a heads up, next week, Lord willing, I want to share with you a little more of something I brought out July 3rd concerning... <coughs> A year of blessing. And so next week, I'm going to be preaching from Isaiah 61. We're going to take a break from Ephesians, and then uh, Reverend Doug Clay will be with us, and then back to Ephesians. But we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Let's start off with this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this specific portion of this letter this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. Lord, open the eyes of our heart to see the intent of what has been written to us, Lord. It, it was by your anointing, given through your apostle, handed to those around him, and then especially those in Ephesus, and then even to us today, 2,000 years later. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. And I thank you for the power of your spirit. And I ask that these two would work together today to change who we are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you know, Paul continues here, and I, I don't know if you noticed, right in verse 1, he continues to emphasize his unique relationship with the Lord. In, in the first verse, I, I, I'm assuming you had to see this, just as he had done in chapter 1, just as he did in the, in the last chapter, chapter 3, he mentions that he is a prisoner for the Lord. This is a consistent theme through his epistles. And third time now in this epistle, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I then urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And then he begins to describe the attributes of just such a life. What would a life like this look like? 
And I find his instruction here really quite interesting, quite unique. It's unique in that Paul does not give us a list of do's and don'ts. If I were to ask you, what is a Christian? What does a Christian look like? You'd probably say, oh, a Christian doesn't do this. A Christian doesn't do this. A Christian is sure to do this. And, and, and Paul does not give us, he doesn't reduce our calling, the Christian life, down to a list of rights and wrongs. Though we all have one, and we know what's appropriate in the way for, of, of behavior for a believer. And the reason I mention this to you this morning is because many believers do think of the Christian life in terms of rules and regulations. And, and basically all religions have rules. But if you were to ask some Christians how they display their Christianity, they begin by probably telling you all the things they don't do. I know I did as a new Christian. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't cuss, I don't dance, etc., etc., etc. I mean, a long list of all the things we don't do. And you share that with a non-Christian, and they're like, oh my Lord, your life is boring. Well, I guess they wouldn't say, oh my Lord. But the Christian life, our calling is more than just a list of regulations. And you got it, you got it. Listen, look with me. I think it's going to be on the screen. Look with me at Colossians 2.20 and look at the way that Paul actually says this. This is Colossians 2.20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value of really restraining sensual indulgence. Okay, so don't, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that there's not a place for rules. Rules is part of the Christian walk. I'm not proposing that we all have the freedom to go out and indulge our licentiousness. Not at all, but, but, but as Paul's written here to the Colossians, a list of do's and don'ts, hey, they might make you look good, they might make you look spiritual or religious, but in reality, and he states it directly, it's nothing but false humility and self-righteousness. Really, there's an outward appearance, but there doesn't have to be any inner substance. You know, some church folks will even try to judge themselves superior to others by using that kind of scale. Well, I would never go where they just said they went. I would never do. I would never say what they said or do what they did. You know, we, we, we can easily compare ourselves and judge others because we don't do something in particular. And that kind of attitude basically produces nothing but factiousness and divisiveness and alienation. And you know what the Word of God speaks against that? So I believe that this makes Paul's instructions... To the, to, the, to the Christians in Ephesus, this fourth chapter, all the more significant to us. How do we live our lives? How do we live our lives in a way that are worthy of our calling? That's the real question this morning. That's what's really deeply pertinent. Verse 2 and 3. Paul says, okay, to, to, to live worthy of the calling we've received. Paul says to be completely humble and gentle. To be patient bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's a true Christian. Those are Christian standards. And it's a wonderfully simple prescription, isn't it? It's so easy. 
Well, it's not easy, but it's easy to remember. Do you really want to live, do you really want to live a life worthy of being labeled Christian? Do you really want to faithfully live up to God's expectations as someone who has been redeemed? Then let's keep it simple. Don't work, don't concentrate your efforts on the do's and the don'ts because no man can keep the law. Instead, strive for these five simple traits in your life. Traits of humility. I want to go through these slowly. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and unified peacefulness. It almost sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? Sounds like the fruit of the Spirit. Let's, in fact, let's take a quick peek. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against, against such things, there's no law. There's no law. There's no law needed. If you have those things in your life, you're not going to break any laws. And of course, I believe that if we'll strive to gain these traits in our lives, then we're not going to have to worry about laws. We're not going to have to worry about rules. We're not going to worry about regulations. And in the process, we're going to enjoy much more victory and we're going to have much more joy in our life as a Christ follower. Amen? Now, the Apostle Paul mentioned the same thing to the, to the Colossian church in uh, third chapter. Let's look at this. Colossians 3, verse 12, 13, and 14, 12, 13, and 14. Verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. They're not in the same order, but they're there. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let me say this. Let me add this thought. We've got a good thing going here at Praise Assembly. We've got a good thing going in this church. We've had many years of peace and joy and growth, and we're going to celebrate another anniversary in just two weeks, coming together as the church, coming together as Praise Assembly. And you know what? what we, need to main, we need to do everything we can to maintain this. This is a very loving church. I've been around. I visit other churches. This is a very gracious church. This is a great place to grow in the Lord. And some of you may not know this, but you know, I'm telling you, there are churches out there that are not at all like ours. Filled with strife, problems, conflict, and, and ongoing, always nitpicky stuff. And so in light of what I've covered so far this morning, you know, let's continue to maintain the virtues that Paul has mentioned in this passage. That's what it means to live worthy of the calling you've received. It's a real strength. And people notice it. Let's look at Galatians 5 verse 19. Just the opposite. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Paul says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now, that's, that's one of the several sin lists that Paul includes in his various epistles. It's not the only one. And, and as much as these verses are true, the offenses that are listed here, as we just read, they can and they will keep a person out of heaven. Now, it's true that avoiding those issues will not get you into heaven. In other words, avoiding these sins are not going to make you a Christian because following rules and regulations can never make any person a Christian. It'll only make you moral. And people around you will know that you're moral. But how will people know that you're really a Christian? How will they know that you're a follower of Christ? John 13, 35, I think says it all. Just one verse. It says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's incredible. Now, it doesn't say, it doesn't say all men will know you're my disciples if you love them. If you love, it specifically says, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Meaning the Christians, Christians, disciples. Isn't that clear? Jesus is so very direct. If you love one another, people will notice. No mention of rules, no mention of regulations. Am I getting through this morning? I'm really, it's really a simple. It's hard to do, but it's simple to understand. It's simple to know. And what is so truly remarkable about Jesus' statement here is that it is, it is so extremely powerful today in, in our world today, a rights-oriented society today, a very divisive culture that we live in. I mean, people have never been, I don't think people have ever been this polarized in a long time out there. And we certainly don't want that in here. People are so protective. They're so defensive. And, and to the extreme, even litigious. We are, uh, people are just, they're so good at holding on to grudges today. They label others. They label themselves. They build this wall. And, and, and you know, it's either their way or the highway. I mean, that's the attitude that is, is so prevalent in our society today. We are so bent on securing our rights. We live in a very proud and selfish society. And folks, we cannot allow that attitude to infiltrate the church. Amen? And be aware that pride is one of the seven abominations. It's one of the seven things in Proverbs that God says that he absolutely hates. On the other hand, listen to what God has to say about being humble. Proverbs 3.34. And then it's also repeated in the book of James. But Proverbs 3.34 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Isn't that great? Again, one verse, so simple. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And listen to my, my, Micah 6, 6, 7 and 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? In other words, how, how, can, I, how can I best worship God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, for my sin, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. God has showed you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the calling that we've received. So you see, if we really want to be noticed by the world, if we want others to think that we're different, that's the key. Amen? Practice humility. 
Practice humility. And you know the ultimate in humility? Do you know the two hardest words to say in the English language? Any language, really. I'm sorry. Actually, it's three words, but in a contraction, it's two. But it's difficult to say. Especially between husband and wife. Hello. Parents and children. I've had to say I'm sorry. Specifically, I, I, there's one I can't share with you, but it was just, it's just a month ago. Just a month ago. I couldn't believe it. Husband and wife, parents and children, loved one to loved one. Oh, I do want just disclaimer. It wasn't my wife and I, okay? Just, just so you know. <laughs> I just want to make sure that's not. But they, those are extremely powerful words. Because they express humility. They contain the power to heal. Amen? I'm sorry. To heal hurt feelings. Broken and damaged relationships. And that's only one element of our calling. Because along with being humble, Paul tells us also to be gentle, to be patient, forbearing, peace-loving, and lovers of unity. I mean, folks, you know, there are moral Muslims. There are moral Jews. There are even moral atheists. Do you know that? There are moral atheists. What sets us apart as Christ followers is our love one for another. It's not your morality. The world chafes when they consider our morality. But I think they want our love. And don't equate love, don't equate love, and I kind of brought this up in, in, in young adult life groups, don't equate love or even grace with tolerance, okay? I don't like that. That is such a man-made word. I, I almost think Satan must have thrown it into the human vocabulary. I, I have a problem with tolerance. But I can give you grace. I can overlook. I can give you forbearance. I can give you patience. I don't have, tolerance says, you got to accept me and everything I'm doing. No, I can give you grace for that. I can extend you some grace. I can overlook it. I don't have to condone it. So don't, don't, don't think that morality is your badge as a Christian. It's got to be our love one for another in particular. The next three verses, verse 4 through 6, Paul expresses how unity is part of God's very nature. And it really is, if you think about it. There's a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all one. Jesus said specifically, he said, Jesus said that he and the Father were one. That they were, in, they were one in substance. They were one, they had one single desire. They had no conflicting agendas. They were, they were of one will. Jesus said it best and displays it best in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says to the Father, not my will be done, but thine be done. I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm on the same page. I'm on the same agenda. I'm with you, Father. You and I are one. Whatever you want, I'm going to be obedient to you. I want what you want. And just think for a moment of any self-willed Christian that you've ever known. Right? They insist on their way. 
And not just with others, but even with God. And in direct contradiction with Jesus' example for us. In verses 4 through 6, we learn there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And I would say that unity is of God. Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. It was always this idea of one accord, of oneness, of unity. And then the next several verses, Paul provides for us God's formula for becoming a victorious church. And I want you to look, I want you to look at this. In verses 7 through 16, he describes for us exactly how the church is to be ordered. And as we follow this prescription, it becomes, for, for the church, a method for reaching higher ground, for becoming better and better. And I want you to pay special attention to verse 8 and 9, if you have your tablet or your Bible in front of you. A couple weeks ago, I described for you the triumphal procession that Paul spoke of in the third chapter. He's also mentioning another procession, this time behind Christ. And, and, and he, back then in chapter 3, he, he mentions how a Roman general I had mentioned how a Roman general returning from battle would declare victory by having prisoners chained to his chariot. And that, that Roman general would lead them in procession. The victory was for the Roman general. And he would lead this procession. Christ has taken us captive. We're supposed to be prisoners of Christ, just as Paul was. And so we should be in that chain of prisoners following our general, our king of kings, Jesus Christ. Now, here in these two verses, Paul is using the same analogy again, but with a, with a twist. You see, in both the Old and New Testaments, the king or the emperor of that time, the emperor, that returning general, would demand gifts of plunder from that general. He would demand gifts of plunder from the victory. It was customary for the conquering general to pay tribute to the empire's leader. But in verse 8, notice here, it's just the opposite. Instead of the king demanding gifts from us, we are told that the king, Jesus, has given gifts to those whom he conquered. Isn't that interesting? Just the opposite. And then these gifts are listed in verse 11. He says that he's given to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we're specifically told here that each one of these is a gift from God to the church. And then the rest of the passage tells us that the church is not going to, it's not going to reach its fullest potential without the operation of these gifts. We've got to have these gifts in operation. And I'm not going to take time this morning to go into the function of these, each of these. Maybe next time we get together, talking about these different gifts, these different offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor. But I do want to emphasize to you that each one of these positions, each one of these offices of ministry truly are gifts to the church. They are gifts that God has provided to the church. You know, and we, we saw it in the uh, video clip about um, being a hope for the world and an emphasis on our anniversary coming up. Um, but truly, truly, we, we have something to offer the world. We, we can offer them hope because we have hope. And God is the one who does this through the church. Do you understand? God created Adam and Eve. He created all the universe, all the heavens. But on one specific day, on a celebration of Pentecost in Jerusalem, God created the church. Church was not man's idea. It's not just us, you know, we, we, we don't create the church. God created the church on the day of Pentecost for the purpose of bringing hope and healing to those around us. He actually created us as a body. This whole idea 
It wasn't the Assemblies of God. It wasn't the Presbyterians. It wasn't the Methodists, the Anglicans, the Roman Catholics. It wasn't the Orthodox Church in Eastern Europe. It was God who decided there has to be a church. That just blows my mind. That's incredible. We need to be the church. And for the sake of the world specifically, we need to be a healthy church. And God has created us to be that. You know, as, as a pastor, I, I really do. I, I, un, I understand. It's, it's been made fresh. It's been fresh to me just recent putting this message together. But I have now served three different churches over 43 years. And as I pastored each church, I want you to know that I really believed, even from the very first church that I pastored, that I, we started. We started wasn't one that we were called to. We started that church. I really believed that I would be at each church for an indefinite period of time. When I was at that first church, I never thought about, hey, someday I want to move to a, another church. Ne- never. I always felt as though each church would be my last church. And yet, at the appropriate time, God spoke to my heart, called me to another flock. And I've never looked at the pastoral ministry, as some people do in their careers, of, you know, professional advancement and moving up. It's, it's a calling. It's a life of obedience. And when God brought me here 24 years ago, it was completely his doing. Each, each time I made a change, it was his doing. It was his choice. His decisions. And, and I, know, I know that as a pastor, we like to think that, you know, we made the choice, we made the decision, or maybe the pulpit committee thinks it made the decision. It's really God's choice. It's God's doing. And all we have to do is, is acknowledge his will and obey his will, and it all falls into place. You know, the reason that God's given pastors to churches is because he loves the church. He completely loves his bride and he wants her to grow and to mature. I want you to look at verse 12 and 13 again. If you have, again, if you have your Bibles or your tablet or your iPhone or whatever, it says in verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's God's ultimate goal for the church. He has established this symbiotic relationship whereby pastor and flock work together for the sake of mutual edification. They grow together in order to be his servants on this earth, every one of us. And the church cannot properly function without a pastor. And likewise, a pastor can't do all the ministry that needs to be done, that only a church can do, all of its members involved. And so clearly each one needs the other in order to fulfill God's agenda. I absolutely love this set of verses. Not only for its content, but for its clarity with which it speaks. We truly cannot ignore these verses. We can't ignore what the Holy Spirit is saying here through the apostle. Verse 14, 15, and 16. This is God's plan for our lives. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, him being the source, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, that's his plan. We will no longer be infants. In other words, it's time to grow up. It's time to mature. It's always time to grow up. 
no longer tossed around, blown here and there by all kinds of deceit. And, you know, I mean, again, an infant can be, you know, an infant can only relate to its own needs. I mean, they're cute, but they're, they're work. Their primary desire is to be fed, to be cared for, to be loved and coddled and changed. And Paul is urging these Ephesians to move beyond just receiving. He wants them to go beyond just fulfilling their basic selfish desires. He wants them to move from infancy to adulthood. And again, babies are cute, but they're not very helpful. And and frankly, there's a lot of work to be done. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus said that. And then he said, but the workers are few. And so it's time for us to live our lives in a manner that's worthy of the calling we've received. And so as I close this morning, I I want us to renew a covenant with each other. I want us to agree together, centered on this passage this morning. And here's the deal. From this day forward, I will promise, I promise to continue to endeavor to prepare you for works of service. Using my pastoral staff, working together with you. I'll do the work of a pastor. And in return, I want you to sincerely desire to edify others in this body and to desire personal spiritual maturity, to find a place of service. That's what I'd like from you. I'll do my part. You do yours. I'll do my best to serve you. I'll do my best to prepare you for works of service. And then all you have to do is serve others and serve one another. That's God's will for his church. In fact, it's his written will for his church. We just read it today. It's in writing. It's what we read this morning. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this incredible, incredible chapter from your Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to us today. Lord, that we all have a responsibility. We all have a calling. We've been called to be Christ followers. And, that, and that, that secures a place for us in heaven. But while we wait for that eternal reward, Lord, we've got work to do. We've got to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. We, we need to find a place to serve those in the body. We need, to, we need to allow your Holy Spirit to help us with the high calling you've given us where we would be Lord, lovers of peace and unity, that we'd be full of grace towards each other, humble and gentle, that we'd be patient, bearing with each other. And so, Lord, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to do what he does so well. Work in our hearts, work in our lives, Lord. God, we ask for you to do this. Lord, we we can't, we can, we have to be in agreement with you We have to be in the same place that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, your will be done. Your will be done in our lives. Use us, Lord, for your glory. Use us for your purpose. And Lord, I pray that you would do that. I thank you for what we have as a local church body. God, I thank you for all the good that we have. You have so blessed us. And you've knit us together as one. And Lord, I pray, God, that nothing would ever, ever hurt that. Lord, I pray that it would grow. And I ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
and amen. You know, I talk about a renewing a covenant between you and I. And you know what? We, we're going to do that now through the celebration of the Lord's Supper. That's a covenant, a new covenant in Christ's name. And so, Pastor Hans, if you'd come and lead us in communion this morning. Got to get everything ready before I... <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's interesting, as Pastor talked about our relationship with each other. I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 33 says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. And uh, I had a roommate in college who used to take communion alone in his room. And one day, me and my roommate were like, what are you doing? We got to do this together. And so we started doing it together. It's not something you do alone. Walking with Christ isn't something you do alone. And our relationship with each other is a tremendous reflection on our maturity and on the strength of our faith. So as we receive this morning, I want to read Paul's passage here. It says, For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. And he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you have your element with you, let's hold it in our hand. Lord, thank you for your body broken for us. Lord, what an, what an awesome, awesome thing you did for your creation to be willing to be broken for us. Lord, we receive it today with a grateful heart. Lord, we receive it today with, a, with a, just a heart that remembers your goodness to us. And we receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive together. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with his blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's take the cup. Jesus, your blood shed for us, powerful and mighty, to wash away every sin. God, we are grateful for your sacrifice, not only for your broken body, but for your blood that you allowed to be shed for us, that we could have life and that we could have that life reflect in our relationships with each other and, Lord, on our, in our ability and power to share you with this world. We receive together this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we honor you. We are grateful to you today. In your name. Amen.